You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Tributes are pouring in tonight for a young taxi driver killed in a crash caused by a suspected drunk driver in East Vancouver. Friends remembering 28-year-old Sanipal Randawa as hardworking with a promising future. Grace Key has the latest on the investigation. The Yellow Cab family is in mourning, devastated after losing one of their own. A drunk driver may have been behind the wheel, killing 28-year-old Senapal Randawa. We're grieving. It's, it's, it's a tra uh, tragedy uh, for Yellow Cab. The collision happened 3.30 Sunday morning at First Avenue and Renfrew Street. Vancouver police believe speed and alcohol were factors in the crash. It appears the driver of the car to go T-boned the cab after running a red light, sending two taxi customers and the car share driver to hospital. Just before the collision, the driver of the car to go may have evaded officers at a nearby counterattack roadblock. We believe that uh, the driver of that uh, smart car, uh, the car to go, uh, may have had uh, an interaction with police sometime before that uh, collision occurred. Senapal and a childhood friend left India for Ontario back in 2010. Harman says it was a struggle in the beginning, but Senapal was a hard worker. We actually saw a struggle like the hard one. We used to stay like hungry for a couple you know, days when we had no money to eat, right? And when we started to get a good life, he is not here to... You know, to live it. Senapal held down two jobs working seven days a week. He saved up enough money to buy a condo in Surrey. He was supposed to move in next month. He was a really great friend and he always in our heart. Just don't drink and drive, please. The two taxi passengers were released from hospital yesterday. The car-to-go driver, a man in his 20s, remains in hospital in serious condition. The Independent Investigations Office, now they are a civilian-led police watchdog group. They have been called in because of that interaction that took place between the car to go driver and police at the roadside counterattack, and that is still being looked into. Chris and Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Grace Key reporting for us. That fatal crash raises questions tonight about car-sharing services such as car to go and what happens if someone is found guilty of drinking and driving behind the wheel? Jill Bennett has more on how it could impact both the driver and the company, and one idea being floated to protect the public. This device tests the blood alcohol level of someone and then either allows the car to start or stops the person from driving impaired. An easy way for companies to prevent impaired drivers from taking car share vehicles is to install ignition interlock devices, essentially a blow and go system where you have to prove that you're sober. Vancouver police suspect the driver of the car to go that crashed into a taxi early Sunday morning, killing the driver, was impaired. The actions of the car to go driver moments before the crash are also part of the investigation. The fact that the police believe that this was the driver of a vehicle avoiding a roadblock demonstrates that this was likely a situation where the person was impaired and likely a situation that again could have been prevented. If that is the case, it means the driver would have breached the contract signed to become a Car2Go member. According to the company, if any customer is found to have been driving one of our vehicles under the influence, that customer will be permanently banned from our service. 
In addition, car share drivers, which are automatically covered by ICBC, may find the insurance is no longer valid. ICBC can either choose to void the insurance contract by saying, we believe you were impaired and the impairment caused the collision. We believe that you were over the legal limit and that's what caused the collision and so we're not providing you coverage. Unfortunately, some people, even though they should make that choice to have an arrangement to get home safely, they don't. Even if car share companies don't install interlock devices, there are other measures that could make vehicles safer, such as requiring updated driver's abstracts on a regular basis instead of just one time when a driver signs up. Jill Bennett, Global News. Abbotsford police are investigating an apparent drive-by shooting. It happened this afternoon at a home in the 3600 block of Heritage Drive. A 19-year-old man tells police he was walking up to the front door when someone in a white SUV fired a gun toward him. Thankfully, he wasn't hurt, but a vehicle in the driveway was hit. The suspects then took off. While the motive isn't known at this point, police do not believe this was a random attack. Anyone with information is asked to call Abbotsford Police or Crime Stoppers. Meantime, West Shore RCMP on Vancouver Island are asking for the public's help in identifying a group of youths after an altercation left one young man with knife wounds. The incident happened back in June. Take a look at this video. Police want to identify the five young men in it. It's believed they're between the ages of 16 and 23. And at the time, we're walking toward the water fountain located on Goldstream Avenue in Langford. Investigators are looking to speak to the youth in these videos to determine their involvement in the investigation. Victoria police are searching for a suspect in two terrifying incidents over the weekend, one being investigated as an attempted kidnapping. In both cases, the victims were women who reported being grabbed from behind. The suspect demanded they go with him, but both were able to escape. Global's Brad McLeod has more on where it happened and who police are looking for. Very upsetting. Terrified. It's absolutely terrifying. Reaction to two eerily similar assaults on young women in downtown Victoria Sunday. This is quite concerning. The first happened here at 3 a.m. at the intersection of Blanchard and Johnson Streets. A woman was grabbed from behind while walking. I told her that she needed to go with him. She was able to get away, luckily, and got herself to a place where she was surrounded by other people, immediately safe, and called 911. Police initially processed the attack as a robbery, but hours later, another, even more brazen daylight incident in bustling Bastion Square. At 11 a.m., a woman was returning to her car when she was grabbed from behind, but this time, the attacker had a knife. She was able to redirect the man's attention and flee to help immediately. She's a very brave, very, very clever woman. Both women had no physical injuries. While police still can't say these two incidents are the same person, the descriptions are very similar. They are looking for a Caucasian man with a French-Canadian accent, approximately 45 years old, wearing a dark trench coat, sunglasses, and his hair in a ponytail. Since the attempted abduction, at least one nearby pub is making sure their employees are accompanied to their cars after their shifts. But the manager says police have not approached him for surveillance footage. I've always felt safe. I, I hate to hear things like that happening. You know, be extra cautious because you just never know what's coming around the corner. I still feel safe, but it's terrible that it happened. Police are asking anyone who may have information to come forward. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. 
Chilliwack RCMP are looking for witnesses to assist in a sexual assault investigation involving a 13-year-old girl. It happened December 20th. Police say the suspect approached the teen around 11 p.m. in the 8200 block of Eagle Landing Parkway, inappropriately touched her and made a sexual proposition. The girl ran into a nearby business for help. The suspect is described as Caucasian in his mid-20s, about 5 feet 11 inches tall and wearing a red long-sleeve shirt. As you might have seen on Global National, a new wave of Canadian firefighters is heading to Australia, among them a contingent from B.C. They will be joining those already there battling the devastating wildfires. Julia Foy is at the airport for us tonight with more on the departure and the mission ahead. Julia. Well, Chris, there are 15 firefighting experts from across Canada, one from B.C., Alberta, Ontario, and PEI. They're going to be having a quick briefing around 7 o'clock tonight before they start to prepare to fly to Brisbane, Australia. Now, of course, they're going to be jumping and joining forces with Australian firefighters that have had great difficulty trying to deal with a growing manner of fires, mostly in this New South Wales area. This Canadian group will be heading for Queensland. Now, just a short while ago, I spoke to a couple of them. Here's what one had to say about why it was so important for him to volunteer. It's an opportunity of a lifetime to go to a different country on a different part of the world and help them with some major uh, issues with fire. Now, this crew is expected to be on the ground in Australia for 38 days. But in just a couple of days on January 4th, another group of Canadians will be returning from their tour of duty. And we're expecting a second wave of forest firefighters coming back on January 9th. We wish them all well and hope that they had a very successful tour of duty. Back to you, Chris. We're wishing them well on their mission for sure. Thanks, Julia. The co-founder of the iconic Vancouver LGBTQ bookstore, Little Sisters, has died. Bruce Smith passed away peacefully in Vancouver on December 23rd following a lengthy illness. Smith was predeceased by his life partner, Jim Diva. Since the 1980s, they had co-owned Little Sisters bookstore on Davie Street. They were pillars of Vancouver's gay community and fought the federal government in court over censorship. Smith was 66 years old. Right now, though, a scathing new report finds the Greater Vancouver Zoo is failing some of its animals. The report, commissioned by the Vancouver Humane Society, found many animals were living under inadequate conditions. Paul Johnson has more on the key concerns and how animal rights activists would like to see the facility change its vision. What are your feelings about keeping wild animals in zoos? Some think it's not enough for them just to be fed and have their basic needs met but they should be happy and thriving as well. Probably the, the biggest concern we have is about the, the lack of enrichment for the animals. Peter Fricker is with the Vancouver Humane Society, who just released a report critical of the conditions in BC's biggest zoo, the Greater Vancouver Zoo in Aldergrove. One of the drafts we observed, or the research observed, uh, was chewing on metal bars. Fricker says that's a known trait among bored and frustrated animals, and that the giraffes there also lack a suitable enclosure for their size and needs. The big cats can be seen uh, pacing up and down the fence line. If you look at the Siberian tiger, uh, it basically paces for hours up and down the fence line and has actually worn a path all around the, the perimeter of the enclosure. 
Also in less than ideal conditions, according to the report, are the hippos, highly social animals who they say have a substandard living space and probably shouldn't be in Canada in the first place. There was a concern that uh, it's really not the right climate for hippos in, in B.C. And that theme underscores their vision for how they think the zoo should change and become a sanctuary for animals that are from and thrive in this region. But whether the privately owned zoo is on board with that idea wasn't clear Monday. Staff didn't respond to our request for comment. Paul Johnson, Global News. All right, we've got some breaking weather warnings for you right now involving significant snow and rain that's about to hit parts of British Columbia. Meteorologist Devon Shell is here now with the details just back from the weather center. <laughs> Let's see what's going on, Yvonne. Running across, very busy. We're ending off a 2019, very soggy. It's a soaker across the southern half of the province. We're just starting to see rain move in across the south coast, but it is going to intensify, especially this evening and overnight and through the day. Now, the target will be along the western edge of Vancouver Island, and the snow is going to pick up. It'll be heavy through the day on Tuesday, especially if you're traveling along the mountain passes. By tomorrow evening, midnight, we may actually see a few breaks just across Metro Vancouver. Vancouver. Here's a glance and a highlight of some of the warnings. So even along the western edge of Vancouver Island, upwards of 100 millimeters, and it's the mountain passes right across the interior. We could see 20 and up to 30 centimeters. We've got snowfall warnings right across the board. Pine Pass could see up to 25 centimeters. A few other spots across the province still seeing a significant amount of snow. I'll have more on that coming up very shortly. Chris? All right, we'll check in a little later. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Dozens of homes on Salt Spring Island are under a boil water advisory. The Capital Regional District says a water main broke on Sunday. The system was depressurized while crews repaired the line, which allowed groundwater to seep in. Officials are concerned the water quality may be compromised for about 80 properties in the Highlands area, and they want people to take precautions. We're asking the residents to boil water for at least one minute if you're going to be consuming it. Uh, water doesn't need to be boiled if you're going to be using it in the dishwasher or for showering purposes. We're hopeful to have the boil water advisory rescinded, likely maybe tomorrow afternoon at the earliest if everything goes well. Okay. Well, now is the time to reflect on what a year it was. And the B.C. legislature was the site of one of the biggest stories in our province in 2019. A scandal as the Speaker of the House broke open allegations of misspending by the clerk and the sergeant-at-arms. Here's Richard Zussman. It came with a bang, an explosive report from Speaker Darrell Plekis detailing egregious misspending by the two top officials at the B.C. Legislature. I publicly committed to report at this meeting on what caused me concern about the two officers who have been placed on administrative leave. Expensive suits, missing booze, a retirement check for people who aren't retiring, a wood splitter, all allegations detailing ways Clerk Craig James and Sergeant Arms Gary Lenz took advantage of a lack of financial spending rules at the BC Legislature. These actions were allowed to go on for an extended period of time with documented efforts to conceal what was happening. So in the grand scheme of things, this might be just a hand grenade and the bomb uh, may yet to come. Then. There are the whistleblowers, nearly 20 of them coming forward with allegations about what happened at the legislature. Global News speaking exclusively to one. Connor Gibson opening up the possibility of more officials being involved, pointing the finger at former Speaker Linda Reid for alleged misspending. 
My concerns were, again, about doing the right thing and bringing forward these allegations. Allegations re-denies to this day. I would never knowingly, willingly claim for anything that I wasn't entitled to. But that wasn't the end. The Speaker's office producing a second report. Allegations of a taxpayer-funded whale-watching trip and a baseball game excursion to Seattle. I think there is items in this report that anybody can look and say, OK, it may fall under column A, which is criminal. Eventually, former Chief Justice of the Canadian Supreme Court, Beverly McLaughlin, came in to look through the reports. She found James committed multiple cases of misconduct, including the use of the infamous wood splitter. He promptly retired with a non-financial settlement after the findings. McLaughlin, however, cleared lens of wrongdoing. So very difficult to comprehend how these allegations could come out to be put in such a way that it harmed... You know, for my family and myself and my friends. But Plekis wasn't happy with the findings. He moved to lock down hard drives in the legislature and displaying his frustration in a closed-door meeting, one where Liberal MLA Mary Polak took notes and released those to the public. He has taken it personally that she has somehow personally uh, attacked him. At times, those tensions boiling over with the media. I have no comment to then, in the fall, out of the blue, Lenz retiring. Days later, this report from former Deputy Vancouver Police Chief Doug Lepard. The findings? Lenz had lied to McLaughlin about a truckload of alcohol that went missing from the legislature. A finding Lenz, in a global exclusive, says was totally wrong. I want to clear my name. I've done nothing wrong. Pleka says he's not done. Speaking now and looking forward, he says more information will be coming in the new year that shows exactly what the senior officials at the legislature did. I would be surprised if there's not charges. Uh, but as our criminal justice system works, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a long road. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Oak Bay police are asking for your help to identify a pair of booze bandits caught on camera. The duo captured on surveillance using a rock to smash their way into the Liquor Plus store in the 2500 block of Cabro Bay Road early Sunday. Police responded to a glass break alarm just before 3.30 a.m. A canine team was dispatched from Victoria to search for the suspects who fled with several bottles of booze. If you recognize either of the men, Call Oak Bay Police. Police are releasing a new image of the suspect in that terrifying attack at a rabbi's home north of New York City. The chilling image shows Grafton Thomas just moments before he stormed into the Monzi home, stabbing five people. Now, in the aftermath of those stabbings and a string of other anti-Semitic attacks in New York, there are renewed calls for stepped-up protection for the Jewish community. But here at home, while shaken by the tragic events, Jewish Vancouverites say Canada is a safe space for religious diversity. Aaron MacArthur reports. Heavy bleeding. I mean, multiple areas of this, please. Chaos as a man bursts into a Hanukkah celebration in New York Saturday night. Five people rushed to hospital with stab wounds. I saw a guy walking around and wielding a knife or a sword back and forth hitting people. The stabbing, the most recent, in a series of attacks on the Jewish community throughout the New York area. Earlier in December, two suspects killed four people in a rampage at a kosher deli in New Jersey. And there have been attacks at synagogues throughout the area. Vancouver's Jewish community has been on alert too. 
a camp for kids targeted with hate symbols right before Hanukkah. One of our camps, Camp Miriam on Gabriola Island, was defaced with swastikas and lewd symbols. Uh, so it actually, we did enter into this holiday um, with actions taken uh, directly against our community here in British Columbia. Sunday marked the eighth night of the annual Festival of Lights. Monday morning at prayer services, worshippers spoke of how they will not be deterred from attending synagogue. Jewish people, we, we feel a certain empathy and a certain vulnerability, but personally I think I live in a very safe city and a very safe place. Vancouver's Jewish Federation has a security committee that is activated every time a holiday is marred by violence. It has been active every major celebration for the last six months. We are trying to balance the posture of being an open and welcoming place while putting the increased level of security in place so that people can feel safe enough to walk in that door in the first place. Worldwide, anti-Semitism is on the rise. In BC too, a recent study says hate crimes against Jews have gone up here more than anywhere else in Canada. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Charges have been laid in the wake of an ugly incident that began as an argument over a parking spot at a shopping mall in Niagara-on-the-Lake. I love you too. On the 66-second long video recorded by another shopper, the woman you see appears angry after she says someone took a parking spot she wanted. The woman is heard making a series of anti-Asian remarks and uses other profanities, and she mimics and mocks a woman speaking in Mandarin. Before the recording ends, the woman you see says she is going to make a 911 call to police, alleging that she was assaulted. Now, Global showed the video to people parking in another shopping area to get their reaction. There's some abuse that happened there, right? Yeah. Some assault. You kick me, I'll take those. Oh, my God, very aggressive, this. Wow. That's... That's quite disgraceful that you would do that for a parking spot. You don't know what a signal is? Guess what? Even in China, they have signal lights. To bring in someone's race has nothing to do with it. If it's a parking spot you want, it's a parking spot you want. It has nothing to do with the color or anyone's ethnicity. It's, uh, it's just rude and disrespectful to do that. I'm going to call 911. The shopper, who was the target of the woman's anger, reported the incident to the mall and to Niagara police. Charges of assault and uttering threats have now been laid against the woman in the video, identified as 51-year-old Patricia Zamet of Hamilton. New details tonight in a church shooting in Texas. While police have now identified the suspect, his motive remains a mystery. This, as we are hearing for the first time from the reluctant hero that day, a volunteer with the church's security team. It took less than six seconds to shatter the peace at West Freeway Church of Christ. Police say 43-year-old Keith Thomas Kinnanen walked into the sanctuary and sat among the congregation. You see him exchange words with someone, then pull out a shotgun and fire twice. Just seconds later, he is fatally shot by armed members of the church's volunteer security team. I fired one round, the subject went down. Jack Wilson trains that team here at his home gun range. He says the shooter immediately raised a red flag. The wig, the fake beard, and he kept trying to adjust it. There was concern that you know there was a possible threat. From the moment he walked in? From the moment he walked in, yes. 
Officials are not yet releasing a motive, and tonight we are learning more about those in his path. 67-year-old Richard White, a member of the volunteer security team. From his grieving family, God placed you where you were needed. You stood up against evil and sacrificed your life. And 64-year-old Tony Wallace, a grandfather serving communion, his daughter says, when he was shot. He didn't have to take an innocent life. My dad was a great man. It comes two years after 26 people were killed at First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. Soon after, members here started their own security team, a controversial concept with some critics. But Wilson says he has no doubt his team saved lives. I don't feel like a killed a, a human, I killed a, an evil. And that's, that's how I'm coping with the situation. The father of climate activist Greta Thunberg is opening up about his daughter's rise to fame and his concerns for her well-being. Svante Thunberg says his daughter is finally happy, but he worries about the online hate she's subjected to. Global's Redmond Shannon reports. Politicians are just concerned about tomorrow and the day after. Two of the world's leading climate activists speaking for the first time. The only reason that it, it has been mentioned even that much is because of you. Um, you, have, you have woken up the world. Born 77 years apart, Sir David Attenborough and Greta Thunberg discussed climate action on Britain's most influential morning radio show, guest edited on Monday by the 16-year-old. I don't know why people are listening to me. Um, I don't know how long it will last. I just know that right now people are listening to me and I need to take to use that opportunity and to try to get out as much as I can during that time. The show heard from outgoing Bank of England Governor Canadian Mark Carney, who will soon become United Nations envoy for climate change. I would say we're in a climate crisis, um, just like a financial crisis, where uh, action needs to be taken. Also on the show, Thunberg's father, Svante, who spoke about her battle with depression in her early teens. She didn't eat for three months, or two and a half months, um, which of course was the ultimate nightmare as a parent. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you! Svante spoke about his concerns for his daughter as she faces online hate and jibes from some world leaders. He said he did not support her campaign until he saw how it gave her a sense of purpose. She changed, but to me she's now an ordinary child. She can do all the things like other people can and, and I, she's happy. On Friday, Time magazine's Person of the Year turns 17. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. In health matters, students attending Seattle public schools won't be allowed to return to class next week unless they can prove they have received the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. The school district upholding Washington state legislation passed after two serious measles outbreaks. Students must be fully vaccinated to return to class. Seattle officials are now offering free clinics to speed up the process. About 2,000 students in the district still need to update their immunization records before January 8th. Che spettacolo, signori! 
An orca encounter is always thrilling, perhaps even more so for these fishermen in Italy. A rare sight, three killer whales in the straits that separate the boot of Italy from the island of Sicily. Marine biologists believe they are the same group that originally came from Iceland and was seen off the coast of northwestern Italy earlier this month. The Orca Guardians Association in Iceland says it's the first ever record of orcas migrating between Iceland and Italy in killer whale research history and possibly the longest migration routes ever recorded to date. I am not sure how thrilled those fishermen would be. Orcas are usually doing the fishing whenever they're <laughs> yeah, no around. No kidding. All right, an example of why timing is everything. CCTV footage captures a dangerously close call in Istanbul. We'll show you what happened right after the forecast. All right, meteorologist uh, Yvonne Shell joins us now with a look at that forecast. We had you on earlier talking about the warnings, Yvonne. Yeah, still rainfall warning and snowfall warning for many areas across the province with the heaviest rain pushing in for the western edge of Vancouver Island with up to 100 millimeters, most areas for Metro Vancouver 40 and up to 60. Now the snow is intensifying, especially late this evening and continuing through the day on Tuesday. So if you're traveling along any of the mountain passes, anywhere between 20 and up to 30 centimeters. So the heaviest rain across the south coast overnight and for tomorrow it should start to ease off by new year's eve with many areas even seeing a break right across metro vancouver but the snow is significant if you're traveling along the mountain passes a range of what we are tracking so the western edge of the island seeing some of the higher mounts north shore mountains house sound and pushing in towards whistler and the snowfall snowfall warning is in effect for the coquihalla this is what it currently looks like it really will start to pick up and very heavy this evening and overnight pine pass up to 25 centimeters, the Kootenai Pass, the Coquihalla, that's from Hope to Merritt, 20 and up to 30 centimeters, and the Rogers Pass included within that. Merritt to Kamloops, up to 15, the Connector, 20, Allison Pass, 15, and for the Sea to Sky, 5 and up to 10. Do check in with Drive BC before you head out to any of the roadways for the current conditions. We are going to see the rain ease off to showers across the coast, much of the central interior. It's rain changing over, or snow changing over to rain through the day for tomorrow, but the snow will remain very heavy across the southern interior so up to 30 centimeters for a few spots especially higher elevations and it's going to be a soggy one for our last day of 2019 for the evening hours so far it'll be a chance of showers and hoping for a few breaks on new year's day guys all right <laughs> going out on a wet note for sure thanks no Yvonne. doubt nice honor for one of the uh, Canucks, canucks young stars yes Elias Pedersen mm -hmm. will be in the all-star game again uh, just like he was last year. Part of the Pacific Division team for the three-on-three -three tournament. He's the only Canuck, although Quinn Hughes could be voted into the game by fans, which you can do at NHL.com. Actually, he should be voted in, so Canuck Nation can get on the uh, computer and vote him in. Uh, one of the best defensemen in the Pacific Division this year, Quinn Hughes. Uh, All-Star weekend is January 25th, 26th in St. Louis. Okay, World Juniors. That's Joel Holfer playing goal, and that's his little sister, Leela, watching. Kelowna Rockets, Nolan Foote gets the first one against Germany. Quick shot off the rebound. It's 1-0 for Canada. Hofer with the score, 1-0, facing a breakaway. John Paterka, nice glove save. One more look. Keeps it 1-0, and then Canada rewards him. Liam Foodie. 
just walks right in and scores. No one touched him. 2-0 for Canada. Power play for Canada, and Caleb Addison will score. That'll make it 3-0. Now watch this play. Tim Stutzel of Germany, trying to keep the puck in, ends up changing teams. Well, why not join Canada? They are winning, after all. Canadian bench, look at some of the faces. Hey, hey, wrong uniform, buddy. You're over there. Joel Holfer was named player of the game. What did his little sister do? Celebrate. I thought he played a terrific game. Yeah. Proud of big brother. 4-1 final for Canada. Spangler Cup, Canada in the semis against uh, Turku of Finland. Welcome. Canada always seems to do Clark well at this tournament. settle it down. Nero this is Kevin Clark, who actually at one time was in the Canucks farm system. That made it 1-0 in the first period. Then Christopher Stieg, who won a couple of Stanley Cups with Chicago. He'll get a goal here. Canada will play a Czech team tomorrow for the final. And it's 6-0, Canada over Turku, the fifth straight Spangler Cup championship for Team Canada. The first half of the Vancouver Giants season did not go the way many expected. A lot of us thought they would dominate the Western Conference since they were only one overtime goal away from winning the championship last year. But things have been uneven until recently. So maybe a second half surge will take place in 2020. And here comes Nielsen, two on one, shorthanded. Nielsen and Prezuzo into the right wing circle, across, they score! I, I think the identity's coming. I think guys are understanding exactly what we are, and we're a quick team. I mean, we play very fast, and it's not just a, you know, the ability to skate, it's, it's moving the puck quickly into areas, and that's the way we got to play. Uh, are we a highly skilled team? I think we're a quicker team. Uh, you mix in the work ethic and and the, and the commitment to playing defense and, and checking, and it will be a hard team to play against. The Vancouver Giants are officially at the midway point of the Western Hockey League season, and they finally appear to be finding their way. They've won three straight, have themselves in a playoff spot, and are right in the mix of things in a BC division where only the Kamloops Blazers stand out. I think uh, definitely our coach is kind of calling us out a bit before the break and uh, giving, them some, giving us some uh, hard love. Definitely turned a, turned a page for us, and I think everyone realized that we have a team that can compete. Right now, the Giants are two games above 500. There are 15 losses matching the entire total from last year when Vancouver ran away with the BC division en route to the WHL Championship Final. That success from a year ago leading to some complacency to start this season. I, I think their attitude was, was right. It just was maybe focused in the wrong direction. Um, you know, they, they wanted to work hard, they wanted to be good, uh, they just thought it was just going to happen and, and teams were going to respect us because we were good last year and um, hey, they, they, wanted, they wanted to come after us and wanted to beat us, which, which is what we wanted to do um, coming into last year was go after the teams that had success the year before. Seahawks had a chance to beat San Francisco last night. Their best chance to win from the one-yard line was with 22 seconds left, but they never got the playoff in time and they were assessed a five-yard penalty. They had just spiked the ball to stop the clock and were trying to get Marshawn Lynch in the game for a dramatic one-yard TD run. But just like the Super Bowl against New England, Lynch never got his chance at glory. So why did Seattle mess up? Yeah, we were, we, we were in no, uh, no backs, you know, the play before, and uh, we called the personnel, and we just didn't quite get it communicated with the backs, and... and uh, and, and we were just late. We were late getting in there, and and, and uh, 
we just we burned the time. You know, we just didn't get it done. We just didn't function cleanly. You know, almost like when we killed the clock. We kind of sometimes you can relax like that's a timeout, and um, we didn't on the sidelines, but it just kind of felt like that's what happened, and we 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 didn't get the substitution done properly, and and we were late with it. There was enough time for us to get the playoff. Speaking of time issues, Columbus coach John Tortorella was furious after referees didn't reset the clock in overtime against Chicago last night. He was angry because the Blue Jackets scored just as the buzzer went, so it didn't count. But if they had reset the clock, it would have counted. And also, his goaltender, Jonas Corposalo, got hurt in the subsequent shootout, which wouldn't have been needed if his team's goal counted. So, the whistle blows, the whistle is blown at 19.2 on the clock. For some reason, the clock has run down a second and a tenth to 18.1. For whatever reason, I have no idea. So instead of resetting the clock, we have them tell our captain we're not going to do it. Toronto doesn't step in. Refs don't do their freaking job. And now we lose the game and we lose our goalie. So the chain of events, if it was done right, we don't lose our goalie, we win the hockey game. So all this God technology, right? The technology and getting things right, the stubbornness tonight by the officials and by the league and Toronto, however it's supposed to work, screws us. It's ridiculous. The NHL said that was unprofessional, although not resetting the clock was also unprofessional. Here's a look at your snow report. Whistler Blackcomb with a base of 92 centimeters. Cypress 146 and Sasquatch 155. Revelstoke with a base of 163, 130 for Fernie and Kicking Horse at 127. Silver Star base of 146, 114 for Sun Peaks and Apex 108. Whitewater a base of 178, 95 for Red Mountain and Powder King 207. All right, it's been a tradition for six years, Ecom surveying its call takers for the most inappropriate reason why people have called 911. Well, that list is then narrowed to the top 10 most ridiculous calls. And as Catherine Urquhart is about to explain, it's like some people have forgotten what 911 is for. Getting a new hairstyle can be stressful. Even so, it's hardly an emergency. That's obvious to most people, but not all. Tough maintaining your cool and not getting annoyed with them. Yes. <laughs> but I'm really glad they can't see my face because it's very expressive and it would give me away. Also not a 911 matter, that annoying neighbor who's vacuuming at two in the morning. 911, do you need police, fire, or ambulance? Incredibly, Ecom says complaints about hairstyles and vacuuming were among the top 10 nuisance calls received by dispatchers in 2019. They need to take the time to make sure there isn't an emergency happening. And once they've been able to determine that, you know, it is a nuisance call, it can be very frustrating for them to know that their time, that that lifeline is being um, abused in that way. That 911 call about a pizza could turn out to be a domestic violence report. Determining those real emergencies, not always easy. Okay, a theft? Where did it take place? Ecom handled more than 1.6 million calls in 2019. I had a lady call um, 911 and I told her to go to you non-emerge because she was calling because she thought somebody uh, looked at her Facebook profile. 
Sure, that impossibly tight parking spot can feel like an emergency. Ah, uh, it isn't. In fact, calling 911 could put you on the wrong side of the law. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. <laughs> Thank you, Ecom people, for your patience with all of those <laughs> no people kidding. and professionalism weeding out the, mm. the real emergencies there. That's amazing. Uh, some warnings, Yvonne, and it's a wet end to the year. Yeah, soaker, we've got 40 and potentially up to 60 millimeters by tomorrow, New Year's Eve. Around midnight, it could start to ease off and a nice break, hopefully on New Year's Day for Wednesday. All right, thanks very much. Thank you for watching. Have a great night. Good night, all.